Have you tried Music to Code by yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Dotnet Rocks, episode 1405, with guest Scott Allen. Recorded Wednesday, January 18th, 2017. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're here in the fishbowl at the lovely... Excel Center in London. It's not in London. It's in Dockland. It's actually in Norway. <laughs> it's you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's so far from London. It's on the outskirts of London, but it is technically London. Okay. Yeah. At the NDC, the Norwegian Developers Conference in London. In London. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right. We don't ask. You just come. We, we just, just show come. Up. We have a great time. We get a fishbowl. We, we get some microphones. Yeah. Scott comes by. We talk to Scott. We do some things. And by the way. Right next door to us. This is amazing. Oh, it's pretty awesome. So, Carl's Diner. Carl's Diner. At, we'll put up a picture in the links. But yep. basically, you know, when you come to NDC, they have these food stations, and they're they're staffed all the time. Yeah, so you get food all the time. You get food all the time, not just at certain times, and that avoids the queues. It's actually pretty smart. It's brilliant. Yeah. And right here, we have a ketogenic deli, or whatever right. it's called, the ketogenic diner. The ketogenic diner. Carl's yes. Diner. Yeah. And, you know, they, my before and after picture. And so on the menu, we have a, a frittata, which is, you know, Eggs sort of and like an omelet. Vegetables, yeah. Like a quiche without the crust. And then we also have some salmon with hollandaise and sautéed spinach. Nice. So that's that's great. Because I get stuff. to eat what I can eat. You can eat it. For the first time at NDC, I'm not choking down a, you know, a lean hamburger with some fake cheese product on it. <laughs> right. You know? No bun. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's just really cool. It's pretty so, cool. But anyway, enough about that. Uh, we got some better know framework, so let's roll the music. Awesome. All right, Dave, what do you got? I found a really cool blog post, uh, and it's more like a an essay. I mean, it's a WordPress site, but mm-hmm. it's it's this guy whose name I can't pronounce, so I won't even try to embarrass myself. Because he's Polish. Yeah, exactly. And right. uh, there are characters in his name that I've never seen before. So um, I won't even try. <laughs> he's using his character set correctly. Yes, but um, his initials are GZ, okay? And this is the Guide to Functional Programming and Exploring Functional JavaScript. And so if you're a JavaScript programmer and you've heard about functional programming, maybe you've done it but you didn't know it, um, he sort of takes you through the basics of functional programming using a language that's very accessible 
that everybody has on their computers and uh, on their phones. And uh, a couple of great videos and walkthroughs just to teach uh, how functional programming works with JavaScript. And That's I thought it was crazy. Really, yeah. I thought it was great. And uh, I went through the whole thing and, and I, I loved it. Very impressive. That's really neat. Yeah. And just interesting to think about using JavaScript that way. Yeah, I mean, it can be very functional, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's it's a very flexible language, and uh, yeah. So there you go. Awesome, man. Nice find. Yep. Know it, learn it, love it. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grab the comment off of show 1129, the one we did with Mr. Allen back in April of 2015, mm-hmm. uh, talking about JavaScript libraries and the stuff that he cared about. And as I recall, we ended up talking about Aurelia Way at the beginning, yeah, you know that's in in uh, April of 2015. That was a while back, yeah. and uh, this comment comes from Emmett Childress, who says, uh, "What a difference a year makes." Mm-hmm. Uh, Durandal was the library few people had heard of in comparison to Angular. I was amazed at Durandal's proficiency in areas that Angular missed the mark. Of course, this was Rob Eisenberg's library before Aurelia and right? Angular One. Yeah, and they're talking about Angular One and Durandal, mm-hmm. and, and you remember. They were on such a collision course that Rob joined the Angular team, right? right? And it was a great day that I learned that Rob had joined the Angular team. The best of both worlds is going to benefit us all. It was such a disappointment to learn that Rob had parted ways with the Angular team. Well, we call that Angular 2. (laughs) And the Angular team made a huge mistake in front of the whole development community. I don't know if that's true. I think they made a choice, and people didn't necessarily agree with it. Some did, some didn't. Mm Um, interesting choice. Aurelia is going to be my choice going forward based on the adoption of standards. Rob really hit the nail on the head. Uh, ES6 and ES7, uh, the ECMAScript uh, versions, will be Angular's downfall. Uh, <laughs> and then we have we'll the say. we have the advantage of hindsight, right. uh, a foresight, right? Two years later, Angular's not downfalling all no, that much. No, not so, much. so many large dark scale matter projects are struggling to stay current. Thank you, Scott, for your transparency, and I look forward to reading more of your posts, especially ones around Aurelia. You uh, thanked him, too, at the time. Admittedly, this is now two years ago, Mm -hmm. or nearly two years ago. Um, I think we're going to talk about this in just a sec. So, Emmett, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or in any of our social media. We publish every show, Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on uh, Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We shred them for your protection. <laughs> and we do, too. I guess that's true. Yeah. I, I, I kind of shredded for us. You're kind of shredded. Really. All right. Well, anyway. Uh, so let me officially welcome Scott back to the show. K. Scott Allen is the founder of Ode to Code, LLC, and a software consultant who lives near Baltimore, Maryland. Scott has 18 years of commercial software development experience across a wide range of technologies. He's delivered software products for embedded devices, Windows, desktop, web, and mobile platforms. He's developed web services for Fortune 50 companies and firmware for startups. Scott is also a speaker at international conferences, the co-author of Professional ASP.NET MVC3, and he delivers classroom training and mentoring to companies around the world. Wow. Welcome, Is he? Scott. And there's also plural site actually. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. a little plural site thing. Little... I seem to remember an article about you in plural site back in the day. I'm going to leave it right there. That's okay. enough mocking, right? <laughs> it's just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I might need to update that. The years of experience is certainly going up since I wrote that biography. Yeah, probably. Uh, 
eight years ago. <laughs> so 26 years. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's why when I'm writing bios, I never say the number of years have passed. I give the date. I should I do that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Makes them more resilient. Yes. Yeah. It's all good. Otherwise, You did two actually... days of workshops here at NDC. I did two days of workshops on Angular 2. Yeah, mm-hmm. not Aurelia. Um, not Aurelia. Um, I really like Aurelia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell people that I think Aurelia was... Written for developers. Yep. Yeah. And Angular 2 is written for tooling and tools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Aurelia relies on a lot of conventions. So it's very easy to set up and write a class in JavaScript. And the name of the view that will be associated with that component, that class, will just be inferred from the class name. Right. So there's very little wa- explicit wire up you have to do. Where Angular has taken a, a very opposite approach. You have to be very declarative and very explicit about everything. You have to tell Angular about everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the idea being that they're going to facilitate a number of things through tools mm-hmm. to be able to compile your application ahead of time, be able to tell you what you're doing wrong, what you're doing right, mm-hmm. what things are not being used, all mm-hmm. of that. Right. But um, I, I also <laughs> ended the workshop letting people know it's probably my last Angular 2 workshop for the f- foreseeable future. Really? Actually. Why and is that? that? Well, yeah. <clears throat> a couple of reasons. One is... Um, a lot of the work I've been doing over the last six months has not been on the front end. Right. I've been doing more and more work in Azure with ASP.NET Core, server-side stuff. Um, the one healthcare company that I've worked with since 2001, we, we finally have hospitals that are ready to move data into the cloud. Wow. So I've been looking at a lot at uh, comparing app services and Azure functions mm-hmm. and um, service fabric and all those things in Azure that we can take advantage of and evaluating document DB. So my head's kind of been out of the front end game a little bit. And sure. I, don't, I don't feel that I can do these workshops anymore unless I'm using that stuff day to day. Yeah. yeah. No, that's um, always been your style, Scott. And I've appreciated about that. In fact, you know, for me as a content planner, I'm like, <laughs> I'm rubbing my hands together because I can't wait to get your take on service mm. fabric. Mm. Like you, you're very, precise in the way you think through things and utilize them so those are going to be good stories the next year or so yeah yeah i'd I'd love to do that yeah for sure and to be honest too a lot of it i'm i am really excited about this um Mm -hmm. moving it's kind of a shift in focus from what i've been doing kind of gets me back to my roots where i was 10 or 15 years ago yeah and i don't want to say i had javascript fatigue or that i'm fed up with anything i it's just refreshing to be somewhere else and you're really fed up (laughs) but we're not saying that (laughs) i wouldn't say that well you know you can't do the same thing every day forever and stay excited about it right Right. And you, you know, you, I think you wait, you described your situation is really interesting. I mean, this is a customer you worked with a long time, cared for a long time, and they are progressing. Yeah. That's good news. That is yeah, good news. Yeah, and, and your reaction to that is, oh boy, I get to learn and try new things. Exactly. Like, that's, uh, I'm excited for you, man. That's, so that's how, awesome. How much ASP.NET Core have you been playing with? And how, what do you think? I mean, what's your overall opinion? So I love ASP.NET Core, the framework. Mm. I still have some, reservations and hesitations and aggravations over .NET Core and the tooling and everything that surrounds all that. But honestly, the ASP.NET MVC part of ASP.NET Core and Mm -hmm. ASP.NET Core in general, I think, is is a wonderful framework. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to use and it's extensible. And I I really enjoy working with it. It's removed some of the things that I hated about ASP.NET MVC, which actually was really only one thing. I I didn't like HTML helpers. And with ASP.NET Core, you don't have to use HTML. HTML helpers anymore. You can use uh, tag helpers instead, right? Which just blend into the HTML, hmm. and, and are, are easier to look at and they're easier to write. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. And is there any is there any different experience in terms of you know the the MVC stuff, the Razor stuff, the Web API stuff? 
Any are there significant differences there? I would say the biggest change, like if you're going to port an application, you mean mm -hmm. the all the same concepts are there, and you still have a controller-based class. Mm -hmm. Probably the hardest code to port would be Web API code. Right. Although, so uh, so the frameworks have merged. There's no Web API versus MVC anymore. There's just one base controller. And you can do all the things that you used to do with Web API, like content negotiation. But you can also render views. <clears throat> so you can return JSON, you can return XML, you can return HTML. Uh, but all of the web API classes like HTTP response message and things like that have disappeared. Although Microsoft does provide a shim, a NuGet package, you install in your ASP.NET Core project and it'll add those types. So you might be able to actually just move your web API over without making any changes. Hmm. Oh, okay. Um, so you can still use declarative routing and, and oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Yes. Do gets and puts and custom searches and all, all of that is still there. In stuff. fact, the declarative routing, I think, is even better. Sort of a first-class citizen now. They yeah. thought it out a little bit better. Yeah. And so all of that's there. All the capabilities are there. Cool. And, uh, yeah, I guess it's just getting used to the, the new classes and the, you know, the new way of doing things. But that's not an insurmountable problem. No, I always tell people the day-to-day -day work is nearly the same. When you yeah. sit down to implement a feature, you're going to create a controller and a view, or you're going to create an API. Mm. And, and the day-to-day -day work hasn't really changed that much. Yeah. No. So now that, but there's now one controller to, to do the services as well as the, the, the user interface. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that makes sense. It does make way. sense. Yeah. And are you sticking with 2015, or are you jumping on JS Proj right away? I am sticking with 2015 yeah. for everything except experimenting. Right. Well, it's, it's only <laughs> an RC, but... All right, JS Proj, yeah. 2015, what are you guys or talking about? CS Proj. CS Proj, yeah. yeah. Well, Microsoft decided that the project.json file that we've come to love, honestly, in .NET yeah. Core, where you can specify your new NuGet package references, mm. your compilation options, all of that is going away, and they want to use a... CS Proj file and go back to MS Build, which made a lot of people sad and unhappy. Right. <laughs> but uh, I did fire up a VM to play around with Visual Studio 2017 a bit. And if you look at the new CS Proj format, mm. it's much, much cleaner than it was in the past. It's it's XML, but it's almost readable. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's a plus. <laughs> well, they're trying. I mean, this is the whole thing that was nice with the the JSON approach to this thing. It was super legible. Mm. Yes. I mean, you could open that file up in Visual Studio Code and it would have IntelliSense when you wanted to add a NuGet package reference and it was just light and easy and readable. Yep. Mm. But uh, I'm still not sure I exactly know why it's necessary to go back to CS Project. I know we're doing it. Obviously, the MS build depends on it. But do you yes. think the MS build would just consume the XProj file? You would think there'd be some sort of adapter they could use to, to feed the project.json data into MS build. Right. But, but that, that was one of the things I was referring to earlier where I'm happy with ASP.NET Core, mm -hmm. but there's still some fundamental things changing about .NET Core and right. the underlying tooling. So we're going to have to wait, I don't know, another six months or nine right. months to hopefully things steady out. Tool, tooling settles out. Project The, the, the core matures more. You know, right. certainly been on our mind. It's like, you know, .NET wasn't great until 2.0. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's going to happen that way again. Mm -hmm. I think so. I it, think so. It's still it's good, yep. but it's still a little rough. It's still early. Yeah, and it's, it's still early. It'll get there. But I, I mean, I appreciate that you're not... I, I've got 2017 RC installed on one machine. It's a very nice version, you know? Like, there's a, there's a lot to it, but uh, I keep 2015 on everything else. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's a... By the way, it's a one-way trip. Accidentally opened a project, and they go, "Uh-oh, this is a problem." <laughs> that's what I heard on Twitter, and that's why I became very cautious. Yes, about you, 2017. You got to be careful. Um, 
you got a talk called the opinionated approach to ASP.NET Core. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, that's what I did uh, this morning. Right. So uh, I wanted to, to propose a talk that was just gave people some ideas of how I like to build ASP.NET Core applications. Right. Okay. And I went through the ASP.NET Core applications that I've been building since the beta days. So it's been... You mean last week? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was fall of 2015. Yeah. I mean, it's been... 2016. Uh, it started in the beginning of, uh, yeah, this is 2017, isn't 2017, it? So it started yeah. in the, probably like January 2016 or right. the end of okay. 2015 when I started working with this. And I went through these projects and I just took notes about things that I saw that I liked and things that I saw that I didn't like mm -hmm. in these projects. And I came up with a list of 56 things, which I thought Holy man. might be a little bit aggressive for <laughs> so a one-hour schedule. So these are your, your conventions and, and patterns well, and Conventions yeah. and patterns and yeah. thing, the way I want things done. Well, yeah. it's like, so often. I'm an easygoing guy, but if you work if you work with me, <laughs> you'll find out I do have some opinions. Yeah. On so things. what would Scott do, basically? Yeah. I called yeah. the list down to uh, what I thought were you know 50 important things. Oh, some of them are let simple. let six of them go. I let six how of them go. Okay, how much time do we have here? <laughs> <laughs> you get like 30 seconds each. <laughs> and <friend>. go! <laughs> It'll be a bonus blog, con blog post content there. <laughs> well, where do you start? Where's the most, where are the most important ones? Oh, the most important ones. Well, I kind of start, the way I started the presentation was to kind of start at the beginning when you're creating your solution, creating okay. your project, mm -hmm. and just how you lay things out. Um, traditionally with uh, Visual Studio, we would just say file new project and just mm -hmm. sort of let Visual Studio dictate how things would go onto the file right, system. The default right. folders right. wherever they go. Yeah. But uh, I think if you look at .NET Core projects, you'll see that Microsoft has set a pretty good precedent about how you lay out a source code repository okay. where what they will do and what I followed and found was pretty good too is in the root of your repository, that's where the solution file will live if you're using Visual Studio. Yep. And then you'll have a folder called uh, source or SRC yep. where all your source code projects go and a folder called test where your test projects go. Okay. And those are the two that you start with and then you can add other folders like for docs, um, for build scripts, for deployment scripts. And that's where things get interesting because I like to have Visual Studio, the solution explorer window, mm -hmm. mimic the physical file system, which sure. it doesn't. It tries to, oh. when you right click in solution explorer and say add a new folder, that's just a logical container. Right. It doesn't actually create a directory. There's no folder. Yeah. Right. So there's a little bit of setup involved where you actually go out and make a directory and put files in it and then go into and Visual Studio and add yeah. things. But, um, I think it's a, a worthwhile endeavor and it doesn't really take very long. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, it just occurs to me. It's like, that just makes sure you don't fool yourself. Yes. Right? That what you were looking at in studio is what you see when you look at the file system. Yeah, that's yes. right. What I'm hoping is that one day Visual Studio will have the same approach to a solution that ASP.NET Core has, has taken for a web project, mm -hmm. which is the file system dictates my and view of the solution. What's wrong right. with the file system? I mean, yeah. it's I don't know. Simpler I, is better, right? I don't know why they had to abstract that away. They had to reinvent it, essentially, yeah. right. for studio. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify Prefix, an insanely cool and transparent and free profiler for developers. It runs in the background and catches bugs, including exceptions that get caught and thrown away before anyone knows you wrote them. Get detailed traces of every request. There's no messy configuration or code requirements, and best of all, it's fast and transparent. Hey, did I mention it's free? And not free like a puppy, Free like beer. Download it now at prefix.netrocks.com. You know, some of the things that I saw that I liked, opinions, 
would be th- things like include a scripts folder in your solution. Sure. Yeah. With common scripts that developers run on a day to day basis. So we use a, a lot of command line tooling with .NET Core these days. And if I want to do something like, if I'm using the entity framework and I want to add a new database migration, mm-hmm. I go out to the command line and I type uh, .NET EF migrate add or .NET EF migrations add in the name of migration and do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just include a script in that project that developers can use to say add migration foo, you know, whatever yeah. the name is. And right. it'll run all the commands behind the scenes for me, update my development database, and it's mm-hmm. just makes things easy right. for day-to-day development. Yeah. Um, and I also like to have a folder for build scripts. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of the projects I work on, we're using things like um, Visual Studio Team Services mm-hmm. in the cloud. And they provide a nice graphical build pipeline for you where you can drag tasks into a pipeline and say, build my solution, publish these files, this and that and this yeah. and that. And that's okay, I think, for simple solutions. But when you have complicated applications or a more complicated build, I think it's better to write a PowerShell script or some sort of script. Yeah. Uh, and there's lots of other things like Pisaki and Cake out there that are yeah. build systems where you write the code for it. And you put yeah. all of these in one scripts folder. Right. Yeah. Well, those scripts might go in a build scripts, just keep yeah. separate from the other one. Right. But I would rather do that and have that, that my build checked into source control and use that in VSTS because it can just execute PowerShell sure. in there. That way, developers can do are using the same script to build that, that the cloud is using to build. And if there's any other, any problems with the build, it's easier to troubleshoot and find out about. Sure. Sure. Yeah. There okay. was a, there was a, a release management tool that Microsoft acquired. I, was it in cycle? Something like that. This is a few years ago or in yeah, release. Yeah, it was in, in release. In release. And I think it, it it's the graphical, it, you know, took a couple of, of rounds. And then of course, Team system completely restructured, became the online product, and, and all those sorts of things. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that graphical thing you're looking at is this acquired product now merged in with uh, with the uh, you know Team System Online. Okay, gotcha. But, yeah, I, I never had the sense. The funny part is, builds are the thing. The only thing you really want from a build system is that it's automated. It <laughs> yes. does not need to be pretty. What yes. it needs to be is absolutely repeatable. Mm. Absolutely repeatable. And, oh. and, and able to do all of the things. And you, you go through a lot of hoops to create visualizations of, of complex build processes. Right. That nobody needs to look at once it works. Yeah. Yes. Right. Like it only needs to get to working. <laughs> then it's just a button. Then don't breathe on it. Yeah. Don't, even, well, <laughs> you would hope it's robust, right? Yes, it's yes, code yes. driven. Yes. You know, and this is where people like stuff like Pisaki and cake and, and so forth, right. where it's like, these are very explicit, if not decorative. Mm. This yeah. is what you do to build the app. Easy to use. Yeah. yeah. Moving on. Moving on. Yeah. Um, I also had opinions about. The startup file. So okay. in ASP.NET Core, you have a class that's usually named startup yep. that does three things. It configures your configuration sources. Mm, yeah, know, <laughs> like yeah. what JSON files do I want to read settings from? It configures your services. So it configures the IOC container that ASP.NET uses to manage services. Right. And it con- configures your middleware, right. which is how it's going to process HTTP requests. Yeah, yeah. And if a lot of the samples that you look at and in and, and complicated applications, the startup file can grow and grow and grow and grow. Yeah. And I always tell people, if you're inside of configure services and you're configuring something like the MVC service, there's 
hundreds of options you can set on it. Don't mm. put those hundreds of options in that startup file mm. because I want to be able to open that startup file and just sort of read declaratively. Okay, you've yeah. installed MVC, you've installed this, you've installed that. Right, you've installed fewer that. the better. You and have it. You have it in dev mode. You have it in prod mode. Exactly like those kinds yeah. of things. Right. Um, so write those things as extension methods and put all those option settings in another file because if I'm worried about the, that level of details, I can just go over the right, extension method. Right, but I can see that in my startup method, I'm invoking this extension. Right. Mm. And particularly with middleware, because middleware, I want to see the order of operations. So right. I want to be able to easily comprehend what's going on in the application. So you want startup to be one screen. Like, you can view yes. the, the whole thing top to bottom. Yeah, And so much. you really want enough abstraction that the complicated stuff is in, in individual calls. Tucked away somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yes. I get that. That mm. makes a lot of sense. And uh, in startup, we usually configure our logging sources and yep. what we're going to use for loggers. And I've come to found Serilog as a very yeah. good Are you a fan? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we've done a couple of great shows on yeah. Serilog. I got all, none of my respect for that product. Yeah. Serilog's great. Yeah. You can basically take an object to get serialized and that becomes your log entry. That's beautiful. And yeah. they have so many, uh, I think they call them sinks that you can plug in. So sure. if, you, if you want to write out to WebSockets or Azure Table Storage or yeah. a rolling file on the drive, it really takes the whole idea of logging to another level. It does. Yeah. It even does ETW. It does. Yeah, so I'm sure. Yeah, straight to the Windows event logs mm, if you want, yeah. which I don't know if you've ever tried to call Windows event logs directly. Don't do that. Life is too short. <laughs> but you know what, though? I mean, those are static repositories of – it's a record of what happened, and that's all it does. With right. Sarah log, you can actually create a communication system with it. You know, mm -hmm. Right. And it's just install one NuGet package – Add one line of configuration and you're off and running. Yeah, with yeah. And then if you want to get more sophisticated, it's it's there for you to play with. It right? is. To dig into. Right. Uh, you know why I care, care about the ETW, mm -hmm. you guys, mm -hmm. is yeah. I do enough operations stuff. It's like when I plug into ETW, System Center Operations Manager now can see that. So right away yeah. I'm plugging into this pipeline of how I manage all the other infrastructure in mm -hmm. my data center. And right. so your app plays with me well. Yes. And yeah. the fact that I can have a developer just turn it on, mm -hmm. right? We'll, we'll filter out the unnecessary messages and get to the ones that we care about. You don't need to understand ETW at all. Right. And one of the reasons it's important to have a good logging system in ASP.NET Core, and, and this is one of the areas of friction that people run into, ASP.NET Core is so new, and its hosting model is a little bit different. Yeah. There's not a lot of people that actually have figured out how it's working. When something fails in, in an IS server or in mm -hmm. an app service in Azure, uh, some of the tooling that has been around for years for IES won't know there's a problem or won't know what the problem was. Right. Um, but if you have your own logging set up, then you'll be able to know that, oh, my application blew up before it even started listening on a socket because right. of, you know, oh, such yeah. a, such an exception. This long run thing died because the worker process recycled in the middle of it. Yes. Like, yeah. There's things you know about IES. Right. Mm. Um, I don't get, Kestrel's not particularly well instrumented at this point. Like, well, I mean, they do have a lot of logging, but certainly IAS now, we're talking about, what, 20 years yeah. of oh, sure. engineering on that. So yeah. it's nowhere near that point, right? Yeah. This is version one of a new web server. Yeah, right. Um, you know, and again, going back to the idea of there's some frustrations here, you'll deploy, the developer team will deploy an ASP.NET Core app. And if you have a separate production team that says, oh, okay, you're running ASP.NET in production and it's having a problem, let, let me just go into the web.config file and change a flag to get more debug settings. That doesn't work in ASP.NET yeah, Core. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you've kind of thrown out a lot of the things that people who are trained in managing IAS, you kind of thrown a lot of things out the window and that right. scares people quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. But it'll, it'll get there. You know, it's just going to take a little sure. time. 
Well, uh, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, I must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time for me to go grab a hot dog. Really? You want, you want a hot dog, Richard? Would you relish one? Oh, please save me. Well, no you've, bun, please. you've eaten more than I have, so I must start to catch up. <laughs> Stop the bad man. Hey, I'm on a roll here. <laughs> You mustard stop the bad man. <laughs> you try, but you just can't. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, it's actually time to give away a Run As Radio coffee mug. Oh, my. To one lucky member of the .NET Rocks uh, fan club. Run As Radio, of course, is a weekly podcast for IT professionals that Mr. Campbell has been hosting for a number of years. Yeah, coming up on 10. Yeah, and these are for IT professionals working with Microsoft products, and each 30-minute episode covers a specific topic in the field of IT from a Microsoft-centric viewpoint. And it is a Wednesday publication, and it's a Wednesday, so today's Run As Radio is with Richard Hicks, and we're talking about the latest version of Direct Access. What the heck is that? What is that? Well, you guys have all used VPNs. Yeah. And what's your universal experience with VPNs? Mm, they suck. Sucky, sucky, sucky. Pain, sucky pain, you know? It, and you know why they suck? Modal dialogues, right? Yeah. Oh, Something yeah. goes wrong with the... V- I don't care what you were typing. I need to tell you, your VPN is disconnected. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't need that anyway, whatever so you were direct doing. direct access is Microsoft's implementation of basically a seamless, invisible VPN. You go on the uh, on a working network, it just naturally negotiates under oh, the wow. seams to get access to your network. And the only way you can see whether you're on or off is a SysTray icon. Wow. It just works. Wow. It's not a trivial thing to set up. It's enterprise mode, uh, enterprise versions of Windows only. This is, which is why you normally, we don't see it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's one of, the, it will, it'll make you stop thinking about VPNs. It just works. Wow. And I've talked to Richard Hicks every time we get a new version out on it. Hmm. And the latest one with 2016 is impressive. Wow. But it's actually more about Windows 10. The client side huh. is what makes the difference with, uh, with wow. direct access. Very cool. Yeah. So, Carl, yeah. who's our winner? Today's winner is Justin Hillier. Congratulations, Justin. Yeah. I'll clap for you, sir. A coveted Run As Radio coffee. They mug. come in 11 colors. Collect <laughs> them all. That's right. An 8-bit color. <laughs> well, the website's 8-bit. Web safe color. Girl. There you go. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing is that, and you taught me this, like, it's a big mug with a big name on it. Yeah, that's it's exactly just a, it. Instead of having a white mug with dark letters, this yeah. is a white mug with... White letters on a colored background. That's nice. Yeah. And we use all the Metro colors. That's why there's 11 of them. Mm. So Justin just got the Run As Radio coffee mug. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And, of course, Scott, we'd like to ask our guests, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you be buying? Well, I just bought a 27-inch iMac, which was pretty pricey. <laughs> That's the better part of five <laughs> now, grand right yeah. there. So I guess I couldn't use it for that. But um, I got some in- inspiration from some of your previous guests. I know okay. a number of people have been on that say they want to buy a, a bucket of Raspberry Pis, like yeah, as right, many yeah. Raspberry Pis as they can go get and go out and teach kids to program. Yeah, I was actually thinking it would be interesting to take that five thousand dollars and work it out somehow where I could run a workshop for high school students or kids that are interested in computer science mm. and have them use that towards Azure credits. Right, so they can actually do things like virtual machines and Azure wow. simple Azure functions because. I love it. Um, 
you know, the cloud is becoming important to everyone, but I, unless you're in a business, yeah. I don't think a lot of people would have any capability of experiencing what it's like. What, what is this cloud thing? What sure. do I do with it? So. Sure. Yeah. Cut that five grand up into, into $1,500 yep. gift certificates for Azure, credit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Teach people how to use it. And like, here, go forth and be happy. Cause with a right. hundred bucks, you can run a small website. For Absolutely. Half the, a year. The yeah. thing that's great about Azure credits is for students, it's going to cost nothing because, you know, it doesn't cost anything to put stuff up in the cloud. Sure. Right. It's really how much it gets used. Right. And, you know, how many people are going to hit a student's website and right. rack up the money? So, right. Yep. So $10 gift certificate. Probably <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Yeah. It could cover a lot of people. And I guess yeah. when you first sign up, you know, if you sign up with your own credit card, you get some credits too. But, yeah, again, going back to the high, typical high school student, I just don't think they don't they're, have a credit card. they're not in a situation yeah. to try this out. Yep, so it would right. be kind of cool yeah. to try this That's out. That's a great right? idea, man. Great idea. I love it. In fact, there should be an Azure account available just for students. I bet you there is an Azure it student. Probably account. is. If only there was there. a technology that could answer this question. I with. think there is. <laughs> just f and google it dot com. There you go. <laughs> I googled or binged as you guys may be. You googled Azure student pricing. You googled. I did. Snagged. Uh, Dream Spark for students. Look at that. Okay. At that. Yeah. Dream Spark for students. Yeah. I'll have to look at you that. You supply the bright ideas. We supply the cloud. So cool. there you go. Awesome. I'll include links. So we were, we got to get back to this yeah, list. Yeah, we got to get back to the list. I think we're, we're on like three <laughs> we're running of out of 50. Time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm trying to hit the highlights. So okay. I, the next thing I'd tell people about is uh, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Bogarden. Yeah. Are we couple, all? A couple years ago, he did a talk at NDC Oslo about don't partition your application using this controllers versus views versus models things that you get when you do file new project in Visual Studio yeah. and layering and all that crazy stuff. Partition it vertically with features. And he introduced mm. the concept of feature folders for ASP.net. Oh, interesting. And I kind of immediately jumped on that. Mm. And I'm, I've reached the point now where if I look at the usual file new project lay, layout where you have a controllers folder and a views folder. You're absolutely right. I don't like it. And not, so, only, not only for you know just consistency, but reusability. Right. Yeah. Yes. So my projects, I, I implemented a NuGet package that people can install called odecode.featurefolders. <laughs> <laughs> then all you need to do is in your project, just create a folder called features. Inside of there, you can mimic your UI. So Great. you can have like the admin section, the accounting section, you That's can have brilliant. nested folders. But then in each folder, you have, you can put your controller, your view, any view models as things you use. Mm. And when you're working on a feature, which is usually what you're working on, not a controller or a model yeah. they're all just right there together for you nice and that brings up the idea that some people might have about visual studio and the the way that it partitions uh with the controllers folder and all that as if that convention means anything it doesn't and right, it doesn't exactly. it's all syntactic sugar right yeah uh, controllers can live anywhere models can live anywhere you can put them all in one folder if you want you could it was just the the views that require a little bit of reconfiguration for the MVC, uh, for ASP.NET to find them in the features folder instead of the views folder. But okay. it's relatively Trivial. simple. Yeah. And the yeah. NuGet package makes it really easy. Awesome. The other thing I liked that Jimmy did was his mediator project. Oh, yeah. I, that was a better no framework. Actually. That was, yeah. yeah. And it's a really great way to make sure your controllers don't fill up with important code. Mm. Basically, I like to think of a controller as a facade. So mm. it receives a model. You put something into mediator and say go find me something that'll satisfy this request mm -hmm. it'll do all the database access work and something behind the scenes and mm -hmm. give my controller back something that i can render right basically. 
Like, like separation. Like separation. Beautiful yeah. separation. Yeah. Oh, when he got fancy with the names that it's media TR. <laughs> well, mediator. Yeah. Mediator. Oh, Jimmy. <laughs> I'm adding the links as you go, man, here. This is all good stuff. Okay. So. It's because cool. the domain with the E wasn't available. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, we could talk about JavaScript code as it relates to ASP.NET, too, I guess. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Most applications are using some sort of JavaScript framework or JavaScript code. Mm-hmm. Um, like what? <laughs> well, maybe Angular or Aurelia. Maybe Angular or React. Aurelia. Or I've both. been playing with React okay, a little both. bit. Yeah. I think a Webpack is a really good tool these days for building and bundling JavaScript code that's written in ES 2015 mm-hmm. and above. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's my tool of choice. And it's Webpack. Webpack. And it's even better with ASP.NET Core, thanks to Steve Sanderson. You had the show a few yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, JavaScript services. JavaScript yep. services are yeah. awesome. Yeah. Because you can actually have that experience in ASP.NET and Visual Studio where you just save a JavaScript file, flip over to the browser, look at the browser, and it'll, re- it'll be loaded with that new code. Right. Without a refresh, without breaking your state. Yeah. And that's part of the JavaScript services that, that Steve helped implement. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's a really nice experience. Cool. And I think when we after we shortly after we did that show with Steve, um, Mr. Eisenberg delivered the Aurelia uh, set for for JavaScript services. So yeah. it's, it's continued to expand. Yes, that's good. Yeah. The other thing I tell developers is Microsoft and Visual Studio have kind of encouraged us to use Bower as yes. a tool for managing JavaScript libraries. Which yep. I don't mind. Do you mind? I, I you don't, don't like mind, it? but I haven't done it in two years now. Oh, really? What are you using instead of Bower? <laughs> so, NPM, yeah, NPM the, the package manager that comes with Node. Yep. Many people don't, you know, like this or, or think about it, but it can manage your front end dependencies too. Sure. So I just need one tool, and I can NPM install Node.js stuff like Webpack, but I can also NPM install client libraries like. Even Bootstrap. Bootstrap's yeah. not even JavaScript. Well, right. it's mostly CSS, right? Yeah. I can NPM install Bootstrap, jQuery, Angular 2, React, the whole mm. slew of things. Right. Without getting Bower involved. So there's no second tool and second configuration. Right. Well. You're using NPM anyway on the back end. So why not use it on right. the front end? Yeah. Okay. If you're doing ES 2015, you're using NPM. No right. doubt about it. It's there. So just, just use it for everything. And most um, people do, don't they? Well, a lot of people will use NPM plus Bower. Okay, and Bower for the strictly for the front end stuff, yeah. but I'm, I, I but for no people, good reason. Yeah, I see people using npm for front end a lot now. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I got a, I blogged about it. It was maybe six months ago or eight, nine months ago, and I got some pushback on it from people uh, that. No, that's what Bower's th- for. What are like you doing? The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I want to get it. I want to keep my front end stuff se- separate from my back end stuff. Oh, so, okay. I mean, I sort of get the maybe. sentiment, but is it that important? Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, and if you're going to go down the ES 2015 line, are you a Babel fan? Like, right. Mm. Oh, me? Yeah, you. Oh, so I would use Babel. So the advantage to Babel is that it aggressively adopts the latest JavaScript features. Right. So if you want something that aggressively is not, is right. Aggressively, right. <laughs> they have plugins so that you can say, I want something that is a uh, stage two proposal. I'm not sure if proposal is the right term. But basically, the ECMAScript committee... When someone wants to implement a new feature, yeah. that feature goes through various stages. And I think it's stage four that means it's basically pretty much complete. It's going to be in the standard. Okay. Stage three is almost there. Stage two is a little bit earlier. And stage zero is, hey, I just had RFC, this idea in probably. the bar. Yeah. Right. Request for um, I was typing today. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how a lot of these internet protocols started as a request for comments doc. Right. 
you know but and ntp http like all of these started as just hey i got this idea yeah. And they, were, they just kept sort of growing those documents. Well, yeah. and, and so often the reaction to an idea is, oh, that's kind of an interesting idea. How would I code that? And then you have a prototype. Yeah. You know, I do appreciate that today, for whatever reason, because for a long time this was really contentious, but it seems like today the various mostly browser teams are t- debating features and then writing them on the side and sort of playing with them and then sharing sort of the implementations out. Like we're, we're deriving standards largely from running code. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it seems healthy. And I never thought, you know, you, you go back and listen to shows for a couple of years ago as, as, as HTML5 was coming in. I'm like, these guys are going to diverge. That was my expectation is the browser, the different browser groups were going to go in different directions. Yeah. And for the most part, and there's one very clear exception to this. <laughs> and I'm looking at you, Apple. <laughs> They haven't. Yeah. The 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 it's Edge team and the Chrome team and the Firefox guys, they all seem to be getting along. Yeah. Trying to make things work. Working together. Yeah. It's been nice. Wish, we just we get the Safari guys on board, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're uh off in another universe right now. It's crazy. Well we're Apple. We don't care. Yeah. Well, it's like a Safari has become IE six. Yeah. Right? Yes. It's very popular. Yeah. It's not compliant with standards. Right. And it's never it's almost like it's never going to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Anyway, we've Completely well, derailed you again. Yeah. No, no. But uh, so speaking of working together, mm-hmm. um, TypeScript. Yeah, I have resisted TypeScript for a long time. Resisted. <laughs> I have resisted it. <laughs> Anders I, loves you, man. Well, I, I felt it was good for some scenarios. Like I, I always got the feeling it was designed for WinJS, which oh, right. maybe that didn't go anywhere. Yeah. But it also kind of worked if you were writing a jQuery app. Right. But but for anything else, it was difficult to get it. Happy, I, you know, okay. I, I just resisted it. But a lot of things have changed. I think Google and Microsoft working together, Angular mm. and the TypeScript team working together yeah, has really, yeah. actually done a world of good for TypeScript. Yeah. And so TypeScript, it's not just for Angular. You know, uh, I think it's become much better in other ecosystems to use with Aurelia, to use mm. with React, to use with all, for, all sorts of things. Any, they, anything that you write JavaScript in. Anything you write JavaScript in because they really actually mm-hmm. understand the JavaScript ecosystem now. Yeah. And they have the right configuration options and the right defaults mm. to be able to make things just so easy well that you need typescript wrappers around javascript libraries right but that stack's gotten pretty thorough yeah they're they're out there yeah um something like angular that's authored in typescript those easy. type definitions are easy yeah but you know i can't think of a library that i've tried to use that doesn't have a typescript declaration mm. file somewhere mm. And it's just so easy now since it's set up correctly where I, if I want to use React, let's say I can say npm install, uh, React mm-hmm. and just start writing and npm install the React types. I can also install those types, that wrapper through mm-hmm. npm yeah. and just start writing TypeScript. I don't have to worry about configuring stuff and sure. all the usual hoops we used to jump through. Yeah. I just went to definitely typed. Right. Which is okay. the, that's the project. That's yeah. the GitHub project. That's two projects ago. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, sorry, one project, yeah. So, you know, and so the way they were doing this back in the old days in in GitHub is for each uh, library, there'd be a separate folder. It's like, this is the implementation for, this is the TypeScript wrappers for this. Right. So I just opened it up and he goes, we're sorry, this directory has been truncated to 1,000 files. 1,853 entries were omitted from this list. Oh, Oh, okay. That's a little too much success for your own There's a lot in there. There's a lot. That's better part of 3,000 wrappers for right. TypeScript. Holy man. Everything's in there. The, yep. the frameworks, the testing frameworks, the oh, utility that's, libraries. That's pretty it, awesome. It covers everything. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's an interesting story. That was part of the TypeScript 
Evolution 2, it used to be to get those files, to get that wrapper, yep. you had to install a tool called TSD, TypeScript Definition mm, Utility, right. I think. Mm. And eventually they got rid of that and went to a new tool called Typings. Okay. And now that's gone. <laughs> oh, no. Well, the way you do it now is the things that are in that definitely typed repo, they have some automated publication mechanism to push that into an NPM repository right. called AppTypes. So now I just use NPM, again, for everything. So right. NPM mm-hmm. installed a typing file. And nice. And just, it'll just take care of it. Right. I don't yeah. need any, again, any extra tools or configuration files. That's wow. cool. Yeah, no. Very cool. So, I mean, um, and my thought with TypeScript, and certainly the way we've seen it used, is when you have a large contributor base of yes. a long-lived piece of software, yeah. uh, this ability to do static type validation just increases your chances that the, that it's going to keep working with all those contributions. Absolutely. I've done JavaScript for the longest time now, but mm-hmm. I'm still a believer in static types. Sure. So mm-hmm. I've wanted to use TypeScript. Yeah. And I have started recently. With the, with the changes, I found it a lot more easy to adopt. Yeah. Nice. Um, there's still some struggles there. Like I worry that there's some syntax that I want to use where the syntax that TypeScript defined for type annotations years ago now conflicts with some ES2015 syntax Uh-oh. for destructuring. Wow. So you can still get into some weird situations, and it worries me a little bit moving forward. You know, what else might ECMAScript come up with that'll right. pose TypeScript? Yeah. But I know Microsoft has a voice in the ECMAScript uh, standards process. It's so also just sort of out. flattery, right? Like the reality Absolutely. is this is going so well, we should make it part of the core language. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and actually, if you. If you read through the notes and the wiki and the history of the ES2015 standard, mm-hmm. like the thought process they went to get, they went through, they actually referred to uh, C Sharp actually quite a bit. Right. right. They're like, we want this feature from oh, yeah. C Sharp and this feature really from C Sharp and yeah, this well, feature from C Sharp. You're going to find uh, async and await. Async await mm-hmm. is yeah. a good example. Also, yeah. the what ECMAScript 2015 calls an arrow function, but what C Sharp developers call a lambda, lambda. expression. Right. Almost identical syntax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost and identical. You know why? Because Anders Halsberg's a big pile of awesome. Yeah, he, he is. is a big pile of awesome. <laughs> That's is. right. He is Go awesome. Anders. Uh, hard to resist that, man. He yeah. does think hard about these problems, and they turn out to be really great ways to solve it, no yes. matter what language you're programming yeah. and what you're trying to do. Right. Is it all going to look like C-sharp in the end? Because no. <laughs> certainly hope When so. you look at like node-based JavaScript, mm. especially the ECMA 20, uh, ES2015 stuff, mm. it's awfully C-sharpy. It is very C-sharpy. Yeah. Very C-sharpy. I mean, if you just compare like the... Go out sometime and compare like the uh, Angular 1 code base to the Angular 2 code oh, base, yeah. and yeah. it's a world of difference. The Angular sure. 1 code base, when I was trying to really understand it at a deep level would give me a headache. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Where the Angular 2 code base, if you're a C-sharp developer, it'll look familiar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll, you'll familiar. feel it. Sure. Yeah, you'll feel you. it. That's sure. really, really interesting. Moving on. Moving on. How about unit testing? How about it? Who loves unit testing? Nobody. Unit testing Nobody. in JavaScript? That sounds like fun. Isn't there a well, library? Is there oh, yeah. J-Unit? There's uh, Jasmine is my preferred Jasmine, one there. Jasmine, yeah. yeah. So I use Jasmine for my JavaScript, and I use okay. XUnit for my C-sharp code and in .NET Core, mm-hmm. which I think is a pretty commonly accepted standard now, so that's not a strong opinion. Right. <laughs> yeah. But if you want a strong opinion, here's one, or a different opinion, or something that'll get some feedback. Some of my ASP.NET Core applications and my JavaScript applications too, I've become a fan of writing more tests that are probably more integration-style tests than unit tests. Okay. okay. Yeah. I still find 
test-driven development extremely valuable when I'm walking to, into a situation where I don't really know the solution. Right. I need to find my way there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of day-to-day work in ASP.NET Core where like, okay, I need an API controller. I need this. And I, and I know it's, I know the design. I right. know what I'm going right. to do. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then the patterns in your head. You're yes. really like this, 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 this glued together with these things done. Exactly. Right. And for that, I, I have found that I don't want to unit test little bits of code like my controller and this and that and this and that. And I've had a lot more success writing an integration test. And the way I write the integration test is to, first of all, use the Entity Framework Core's in-memory provider. Okay. Which, don't remember if you talked to Julie about this or not, but it's a, it's a provider so. that you slip into Entity Framework Core where it doesn't write to any databases. It just holds the data in memory. Right. I believe we did. Um, I can't remember if it was on the show, but I know I've had yeah. that conversation with her. I mean, it's not meant for production use. It's only for test purposes. Yeah. Right. So I use that and then the, combine that with a package that Microsoft provides called the Microsoft ASP.NET Test Host. Okay. This is a, a, a test host that can actually take your middleware definitions and host an HTTP processing pipeline. And you can fire requests at it by saying, I want to issue an HTTP GET request mm. and pass this data along. Yeah. But everything is in memory. It doesn't go over sockets. Nice. And so what I can do now is I can implement a feature and I can write, instead of a 50 unit test, I can write a handful of integration tests mm. where everything happens in memory. Mm-hmm. There's no HTTP calls. There's nothing yeah. cluttering up a SQL Server database. It's a small amount of code and it gives me a very high... Um, level of certainty that my stuff is actually working. Mm-hmm. A lot of bang for the buck. Yes, a lot of bang for the buck. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah, no. It's, it's yeah. When it fails, you're going to spend a little more time figuring out what broke. I mean, the nice thing about a unit yeah. test is it's super explicit. This yes. failed. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you're past the wrong yeah. kind of data type, anything, yeah. anything like that. Yeah. Um, with a deeper integration test like that, it's less code for you, it's less to manage, but when it fails, yes. you're going to spend a bit more time figuring out what the heck happened. Yeah. Like I'm, just, of, I'm just thinking through the trade here. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people would argue things like, okay, but you're not isolating your controller to test just that piece. Right. I'm like, I agree. Yeah, I'm right. testing the controller is using mediator, it's yeah. calling the right services, and it's going to the da- all the way to the da- database. Yeah. Right. Um, Making the point that if all that works, right. then all that works. So, yeah. so maybe someone checks in some bad code for a low-level logging component. Right. All of a sudden, I have every integration test fail, and I have to figure out why. Yeah. Right. And you got a hint. It's something low-level because everything's low level. broken. Right. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. I'm okay with that. It, the main thing you want is this green light, red light that means I need to go figure out what's going on mm-hmm. versus yeah. uh, things are fine. Yes. And you have so a pretty good idea of what level it's at. But yeah. you're also saving time on the execution side. Like I'm, I'm dealing with websites now with hundreds of thousands of tests. Yes. And we're using the cloud to distribute the tests so that we can run them in like under <laughs> 10 minutes by making 500 copies of the site. <laughs> hey, let me tell you. That's when you care about your build scripts, <laughs> yeah. a whole bunch, yeah. right? But this idea that we would, in theory, sim- get to the same test results without the same test detail, yeah. right? Yeah. Use those integration tests, even if you hold the unit test back so that when it fails, then run the unit test to see, can we help us diagnose down to the element? Yeah, that's a good idea, too, yeah. Yeah, we could go deeper on that. The other thing it helps me avoid is that I can have the opinion or make the rule no mocking frameworks. <laughs> some people like mocking, uh, some people don't. I, I try to avoid them when you possible. That's a mocking yeah. framework issues there, dude. I do. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. <laughs> they only come out after a few drinks, but that's okay. Uh, one ice cube or two? <laughs> my question is to you, sir. Uh, All right. We funny. got uh, time for a couple more. Oh, a couple more. Yeah. All right. How about this? How about 
this whole convention we've had in the C sharp world of adding an async suffix to a yeah. method that is async. Yeah. I, I don't like it at I all don't like anymore. It either. <laughs> <laughs> and there was an interest. So there's a there was an interesting blog post that I read a few months ago. I'll have to look up who wrote it. But they were talking about a presentation by Bjorn Strustrup, yeah. the C plus plus guy. The Bjorn. Yes, Strustrup. and he was doing a presentation on Channel Nine, and he had a slide that said, "When there is a new feature introduced to a language, people want an explicit syntax for it." Yeah. But after it's become familiar, after it's a few years old, people actually wish that that feature was a lot more terse. Right, <laughs> right. And I think we've, when Async Await first came out, I think they wanted to make it very explicit, and and we were worried about it, so we wanted yeah. something explicit. Right. But I think we've reached that point now. There's uh, everything's async. You know, why right. am I yeah. typing async everywhere? It's it's just unnecessary sugar. You yes. should be right. marking the the synchronous calls yeah. because yeah. there's less of those. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, see, and then with something like S dash, you know, or S underscore. Yeah, S not, underscore. not to make an ancient callback, but you're talking about a variation on option explicit, right? Oh. We went from a, nothing's oh. explicit. Oh, sorry, you all got chills oh. right there, right? That was a big uh, deal in the day. Oh, that was my God. 1993 or something, right? It's like, oh, no, that not everything's a variant. I actually, you know, uh, and I have to do, be explicit about when I declare something. It's like, I want everything explicitly declared unless I tell you otherwise. Yes. Yeah. You there know. isn't such a deal in in JavaScript, is there? Oh, no, there is a strict. Well, there's a use JavaScript. strict. Yeah, but in ECMAScript 2015, you never have to say use strict anymore. It's presumed if if you're writing a module right. with import and export, it's just assumed you're in strict mode. Nice. Right? That's, there, see, that's good. the option explicit, right? Yeah. We flipped over option yep. explicit. Yeah. I remember that from my early days with some classic ASP dragging yeah. out some 20 and, uh, year old terms here. Yeah. This. Welcome to three old guys talk about code. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the days when I used to wish that we could do everything with C++, and I, yeah. that was just crazy. Why am I doing these yes. slow, crappy languages? Oh, and to give man. you an idea of how much of a crystal ball I have, I still remember the day when I walked into my cubicle and saw the announcement on Microsoft's homepage about this new language called C Sharp. Right. And I tapped the, mm. my colleague in the next cube, and I said, look at this. They're introducing a new language. This will never get anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, it'll never amount to anything. What a waste so, of time. Who would want to use this? They tried to make their own Java. That didn't work. So why would this work? Yeah. I'm glad I was wrong. I like C Sharp. <laughs> Me All too. Right. Right. One more. One more. One thing to realize when you're writing an ASP.NET Core application is that your application is actually an executable too. So I can mm -hmm. go to the command line and type .NET run. Yep. And it's like running a console application that just happens to open up Ports port. to listen for HTTP. Yeah. Yeah. Port 80, port 443, yes. you know. So I've, I don't know if you would say I've taken advantage of this or abused this <laughs> <laughs> to do things like sometimes I want my application, which has all the startup logic and has all the configuration information that it wires up available to it. I want my application not to be a web server, but I want it to actually drop my database, recreate my database, run some migrations and seed my database and then exit. Right. Mm. Because it's the only part of the whole project that knows how to do all of that. And so I, I tell, I, in my, some of my applications, I go into the program.cs file where the static void main entry point is. And I look at the incoming command arguments. And after I've configured everything through the startup class, so the container's configured, I'll pull services out of there and I'll look at the command line arguments and say, okay, did you want to drop the database and recreate it and, and run that stuff? And sure. some people don't like that, but I think it's, hmm. For development, I wouldn't necessarily do that for production. Yeah, but I can see for that For development, helps. 
just trying to make things so easy in development sure. for people. But let's face it, yeah. right? You only deploy to production, you know, so many times. There's a ratio of number of, of dev builds versus deploy builds. Exactly. And the dev builds win. Yes. So you yeah. should be very, you know, in terms of raw value for money and value and value of time, yes. the better the dev build speed and capability is, the, the lower the frustration is on that, the more productive everybody's going to be. Right. Yep. We've gotten into the cycle now in both JavaScript and ASP.NET where I want to be able to just write some code, save things, and just and, not and a lot of friction. It's yep. man manifest in front of you moment right. instantly. Right. Yeah. Right. Soon and that's all better. part of that. So what's, what's on your radar? What are you going to, what are you going to do next? Well, I'm, I'm doing, like I say, I'm doing a lot of project work on the back end stuff. Um, yeah. of course, I'm working on some plural site courses. Sure. Mm -hmm. Actually, a few that I'm really excited about. My next, my next four courses for plural site should all be focused on Azure. Good. Two with Node.js and two for .NET developers, and they'll be like a beginner and advanced. And oh, great. even the beginner one, I think, is going to have some meat. You know, I don't like superficial courses, so sure, it'll yeah. be uh, not you just have a history of not making superficial <laughs> courses. <laughs> how to use? So yeah, sure. How to use the portal? How to use PowerShell? But also how to um, set up app services? How to monitor them? How mm -hmm. to scale them? How to use some DocumentDB and Azure SQL and mm. uh, set up a continuous deployment pipeline from VSTS right into Azure? So it'll yeah. be. It'll be fun. Neat. It's been fun making it. Yeah, great. Well, Scott, thanks. It's been this has been a real meaty show as usual. Yeah, cool. and it's it's just a link factory, man. So many cool things to look at. Yeah, so, little controversy, lots of links. That's yep. okay. There you All go. Right. <laughs> All right, thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Dot Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...